Hello and welcome to Grid Talk, your weekly RC racing podcast with your host myself, Russell Lee, and of course, and as always, the fantastic Chris Bowden. How you doing, Chris? I'm not doing too bad, mate, yourself? Yeah, it's all right, man. I'll tell you what, I left work today and it was still light outside. So, yes, so summer's coming. Yeah, long days of racing coming up. Yeah, anyway, let me say thank you to the sponsors. A massive thank you to CMR Distribution, Schumacher Racing and Will Speed, the companies that keep us on every week and throw some prizes at Christmas. So we might as well go straight into it this week because we've got um, a true superstar legend of RC car racing for you this week, um, David Spassett from Zen Racing. I know we normally cover 10th off-road, but you know we want this week we've got Dave on and we're going to we're going to talk on road as best we can now Dave's got a bit of experience in this he's a four and a half times world champion we'll talk about that later um, and we think he's got he's got 27 12th national championships across stock and modified and he's yeah. been European champion 14 times so a normal idol Craig Dresser who's got 10 or 11 I think um, he's out shown this week so anyway Dave how, right. you do, how you doing Dave you okay I'm very well man how are you yeah really good really good it's great it's great to get you on yeah, nice to be here. Bit yeah, off-road chat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But we have got some off-road questions for you a little bit later on for a bit of fun. Um, but do you want to? Do you want to go from here, Chris? Uh, yeah, mate. I would say um, what we like to do, Dave, is for the first bit of the show, we like to kind of do a little bit of this is your life. I know you've you've been on other podcasts uh, quite recently, but we like to sort of go right way back and sort of basically start with what got you into you know, such a kind of niche, obscure hobby? Um, real weird one, really. My my dad used to work on the, because um, we live down the south coast, he used to work on the ferries and um, basically got made redundant. And um, RC was a little club just across the road. He got interested. And then him and one of his best friends just started making some product uh, for racing and joined the club. And then one thing led to another, and it led to us, my dad starting Intronics, our first RC business, and it just went from there, really. Just kept growing and growing and growing. Awesome. All right, so... I, I had an int- what, I, go on, Chris, go on. I'll talk I was just going to say, like, what was your first sort of foray into it? Did you, did you start with, you know, I'm guessing around that era you were talking... If you were on road, what would it have been? Oh, back then, um, I remember racing oval. So I'm going to assume at the time, you know, I must have been four or five years old. I would assume that would be some kind of Mardave oval type of car. Yeah. And then, um, then it was back in. Then when we started the twelve scale stuff. It was the um, Lexan chassis and homemade stuff and swipers, uh, speed controllers, and real. Real old school stuff, right back again. Silicon tires, solid axles. It was really uh, quite simple stuff back then. Um, but I guess the first time we really stepped out to race properly was when we actually switched to carpet, and we went to Ali Pali, I believe, one of the carpet events. And that's when I really started to enjoy racing as a kid. And my dad started taking me everywhere with him. Yeah, because I mean, I said back then as well, the carpet wasn't. It's not like today where you've got like EOS and CRC and, you know, Prima Felt and all the ones that are 
effectively specifically that we use it was like it was mad carpet wasn't it It was just every club you went to a different one oh it's completely different and i remember going i remember going to the ali pali meeting and everybody was having issues with static electricity and blowing up their electronics and stuff because it was not shag pile carpet but it was long pile carpet and it was really really difficult and runtime was a problem it was all these new challenges that were thrown at everybody but the top guys still got to the top in the end um but yeah at least now it's all standardized but back then you're absolutely right different colored carpet random stuff club to club was always different yeah i remember when i started um it was at dudley radio car club and they had like a green carpet and it looked like bowling green carpet nice it nice. was just like it was mad and then you go to another club on a tuesday night and then have like some like really fibrous horrible stuff that you had to spend hours cleaning your car off yeah, yeah it, is, it is nice in dust. yeah so obviously starting with 12th you'd have had a you'd have had a pretty pretty like with all of the, the runtime and the gearing and stuff so how like how i never did 12 so how did that affect your your batteries and stuff in back then was it like the same as it did with 10th where you were you were literally gearing to get plumb five minutes and you'd no warm-up laps and that was it oh absolutely yeah same same sort of thing i think when we started it would have been 1200 sats or something or even ever yeah. ready back then in the day um oh. you know you'd have a hot wire and a 12 volt battery connect the pack to a 12 volt battery and touch the hot wire and as soon as it got hot your battery was charged and you tried to make runtime yeah uh, that was the uh, the emergency was, way of charging wasn't it that was the emergency way of doing stuff and then your light bulbs hanging at the end of your table and you time how long you had left to see if you could actually get i think then back then it was 1348 was the gear in and if you could pull 1448 or whatever it was, you were special and your car was good. And it's just, yeah, just a bit more agricultural to what we do today. Yeah. Technology. So when, did, so when did you kind of move on to the, the higher level racing? You know, when you've kind of, you've done a bit of club racing here and there, and then you've kind of realised, okay, I'm not too bad at this. Maybe I should challenge myself. What was the kind of, events for it back then because i mean we've obviously got re clubs then regionals then nationals um i'm not too Arthur, i'm not familiar with the on-road stuff but did you have things like regionals then or was it specific i don't i don't ever remember doing regionals um as a kid um watford used to be a big club for 12 scale racing in the in the southeast and even that's not really southeast uh, for us um, but we would go there for the club meetings and Luton would be club meetings and we would travel there for a one day, one day event because back then, of course, it was my dad's business. It's how, how he earned his living. So I would just tag along for the ride. I remember enjoying all of it, um, but I was kind of just going with the flow of going racing really. Um, and just, yeah, I remember as a kid, just really, really enjoying, enjoying it and really looking forward to going to the next one next weekend. Yeah, so I suppose you were always, if your old man had the business, you were kind of always a little bit sponsored. How long into it was it when you kind of realised, well, I am pretty damn good at this. And then, you know, you get the inevitable shop drive followed by maybe 
you to drives. How long into your to your racing did all that come? Um, it's interesting you say the word sponsored. Yes, my dad had the model shop, um, and of course he's he was my dad, so he he always made sure we went racing. And if you're going to do something, you do it properly. But he made me do two paper rounds. He made me go and wash dishes at the local pub. He made me pay as much as I could pay uh, and contribute to to go racing. Um, it was not enough. Of course it wasn't enough, but it's your parent, isn't it? If, if yeah. you've got a kid that's really enthusiastic to do something, it's like with my children. If they're enthusiastic to do something, you always back them up as best you possibly can. Yeah. But yeah, the test for me was probably the Gateshead 12-scale Euros. So it was in England. One of the first Euros I ever did Um um, I went. I had gone to one previous to that, but that's the one I probably shined at the most. I qualified and finished fourth, I believe. And um, Jurgen Lautenbach came up to me and offered to sponsor me for uh, motors. And the Corelli guys came up to me and said we were the Corelli agent in the UK at the time, but came up to us and said they would actually finally support me with Parts Direct. So that was kind of the turning point for my career, as it was. Yeah. Um, but looking back at it, it was never, it was never what I could get out of it. I was just enjoying doing it. I was just being, I just enjoying being part of it. If that makes sense. It was yeah. never my goal at that time as a kid to to make money out of it or get sponsored or or anything like that. Um, I just in, just enjoyed the love of doing it, really. So what, what year can, was your first Euros win? Or did, oh, sorry, did you go? Did, was it Nationals? I first? can't remember when <laughs> that would have um, We were on the National Circuit when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. So 30-something years ago. Yeah. Um, and in the 12-scale formulas, you had Formula 3, 2 and 1. So I would have won Formula 3 at some point and then progressed to Formula 2, then progressed to Formula 1 over time. Um, but when when was my first? I honestly can't tell you. Um, I remember one of my very, very first wins of Formula 1. Um, I actually got disqualified after the event, believe it or not. <laughs> no way. Uh, yeah, I was um, a kid, you know, Knew new different, uh, didn't know any different. Um, used to have the remember, used to have the sealed 35 turn, yeah, yeah, motor. yeah, 35 turn motors sealed in a tray. You pick one, wouldn't you? You'd put it in your car, you'd find a good one, you'd run a good one, and it would be happy days. And that was what we all did. Yeah. That was that was how we all went racing back then. There was no cutting comms or brush changes or anything, that was just how we went racing. and before the final, a good friend of mine, Chris Hardesty, who was racing on the same group as me, we had three good motors that day, and I remember it. And Chris said to me, well, you pick one, and then I'll pick one. I went, okay. So I picked one, he picked one, and he goes, now we're going to switch. And we switched them. I put one in my car, he put one in his car. They unwound mine, and it was illegal. Oh, mate. It didn't have enough turns of copper on it, so it was illegal. So yeah. I was disqualified. Like a 33 event. turn or something. Uh, like 20, 29 or something. Oh, okay. Big, yeah. <laughs> it's a big difference. Proper mistake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you got disqualified. So as a kid, I was absolutely distraught. 
Um, and then volunteered to have my motor stripped for every national after that to prove the rest were legal for the rest of the year. Yeah. But I remember that as a kid. That was that was quite heart wrenching to lose your first win in that manner when you you can't control that. That was just a manufacturing defect, I assume. I don't know. But um, a cheetah motor that got slipped into a tray, yeah. and I got caught with it as a kid. So that was quite. That's great. I, I suppose it. The, the level of bad luck for it to just be the motor that actually like was in was in the car that won. It's oh, like yeah. yeah, it was in it was in Chris Hardesty's hand just before he he picked it. It was his choice to take that one, and then as a joke he said, "Oh, and now we'll switch just for a laugh." Okay, it didn't make any difference to me. I was happy to run either, and it could yeah it could have been in his car for all we know, and we could have. Looking back on it, we could have ended up running that motor at the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one, if that makes yeah. sense. But it was the first meeting of the year and I was disqualified from, from my first national F1 win. Would that have been 90s, that, or 80s, do you think? Ooh, 80s. Yeah, late 80s. Yeah. Back when 80s, uh, quality 80s, control wasn't a thing. Sorry? Back when quality control wasn't so, as... Uh, so what was it, what's, what's it been like as an experience transferring through um, from the NIMI batteries and brushed into lipos for you? Um, I, I bet it was awesome the first time you drove a 12th car with, a, I don't know, a five-turn mod and a, a lipo in it, wasn't it? Do you know what? I actually hated it. Really? Too fast? I, or? No, no, I, abs- I absolutely hated it. Oh, okay. When growing, you know, when you when you when you've got your your NICAD and you've got your brushed motor and you've got you can wind the armature yourself and you can balance it and you can zap the magnets and you can change the brushes and the springs and timing and gearing and you're you're in complete control and the amount of effort and work you would put in, you would get back performance. Yeah. So the more testing you would do, the more developing you would do, the more you would. Uh, concentrate on one aspect of it the more you would get back in return and I turned up when I came back to racing people said oh yeah you buy that speedo you buy that motor and I okay so how do I adjust the timing you can't yeah okay how do I adjust the torque you can't uh, okay so what can I do with it well nothing you just put a pin on and run it wow. but it's well that's just what they are you just have to find pardon and I found that really restrictive. From going from cutting a com every run, dynoing motors, checking everything all the time, then yeah. being able to do nothing about the performance of it, I just found incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Did you? What? Well, I suppose the early, the early brushless systems weren't the best, were they, I suppose? Um, is it so? Were they? Were those censored at that time? Were they um, censorless? Yeah, I missed the sensorless part. I didn't do any of that when they were messing around uh, with that those yeah. system. I think the LRP, I want to say the LRP Sphere was one of the first ones I used when I came back racing. Um, and the LRP motors had the, you could take the end plate, you had to take the end plate all the way off, change the insert and then put it all back on again. Um, but basically everything was fixed. Yeah, I couldn't adjust at all and I just found that incredibly frustrating yeah that's crazy um, did you find it a bit better when they like with the current 
set up, you know, with the speedos, with all the adjustments and the, you know, the timing is adjustable on the motor again, like drive frequency and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you can have play then, can't you? You can yeah. make it, tune it a little bit more to to yourself. And of course, the other thing I found frustrating as well for for racing wise coming back into 12 scale with all of that performance runtime wasn't an issue anymore yeah so everybody could go everybody was the same speed which was a probably a fairer race granted but i found the advantage of being able to make time or save time or make people make a mistake so they will be empty before the end of eight minutes that yeah. skills completely redundant yeah being able to go the same speed or save battery was a pointless exercise all of a sudden. Yeah. I had a system that was unlimited unlimited power, just no performance. Yeah. And I found that just difficult to get my head around for yeah. a while. Yeah. One of the people I was talking to today saying was saying that how you've got this um, natural gift where at six minutes where back in the day when it was like Nike ads and stuff um, at six minutes where all the other cars started to fall off because they'd like be losing tyre or whatever you'd just be the same speed or vice versa if you were towards the like say, second or third you, were, you, you yeah. would be able to catch them uh, because you, you were looking after your batteries so, so much, much better it was always uh, uh, you could when the voltage was high in the pack. Of course, you can have more current. So whatever you could save at the start, you gain double at the end. Yeah. So my philosophy was always let's hang around. Let's just hang around in the pack. Um, keep an eye where the front guys are. Don't let them get away, but don't fall too far behind. Type yeah. of thing. And then just turn the screw. And as you get to the six minute mark, you start to put the pressure on. Then you get six thirty, you turn the screw. Then seven, you turn the screw. Then seven thirty, you turn the screw. By then, you would hope they've panicked and they're empty. Yeah. And you just say along the end. Yeah. Um, and that's just how I try to to win as many races as possible. Yeah. Um, by trying to use the least amount of energy possible. Yeah. Um, question about your worlds. You never won a you never won a twelve scale worlds on tarmac, did you? Or no, yours were all carpet. They were, yes. Well, I think I think you got the opposite to Masami, haven't you? Because I think he struggles a bit on carpet compared to tarmac. <laughs> I mean, he won he won both. I think he did win. He won some on carpet. Yeah. He won Grand Rapids. I think he won single. No, I didn't win single. Uh, yeah, Grand Rapids. He won for sure. And yes, on on asphalt, he was very very good on asphalt. Very yeah. very. good. Um, and I was um, a bit better on carpet. Yeah. What was it like to race against him? Uh, I, the reason I say him for is because obviously he's a bit of a hero. You know, he's like the household name of RC around the world. Was, was, was what was it like racing with him? Was he a good racer? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the amount of world championships the the man's won, he's he's pretty damn good to be honest. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm sorry. I meant like you know, door to door, door to door with him. You know, because not a lot of people can say they've they've done that with with Masami at his best. Yeah. No. What I was mean, it like? Was he a good racer? He's a racer. Yeah. He's a racer, but he, yeah, he's how can we put it? If we said he had the Schumacher mentality of racing, if you see a gap, you've got to take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's how he raced, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. He was hard and fair. Um, and one thing he was always respectful. If he did get a penalty for touching, he would always stop instantly. Yeah. He would never complain. He would just do it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just a hard nosed racer, really. Brilliant. Um. So. Yeah, so. Oh, sorry. I was gonna. I was gonna say if uh, 
if that was how Masami was, um, I think you spent quite a lot of your uh, your years racing. Who I'd probably say was my RC idol, which was Drescher. What what was he like to race against? Because I want to, I want to. I've never got. I've never actually been quick enough to be in the same final. <laughs> um, Some really good sparring, didn't you? In the the old TC3 versus Lossy Touring Car Triple X days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when Craig would um, apply himself to any class of racing, he was world class. Um, <laughs> and in a race, to be honest, the word I would use is unrelenting. He would never give up. He would never give up. Even if he's lost a corner, he would never give up. He'd still say it was his, and he would still try and make it his regardless. Um, so, yeah, again, just one incredibly tough racer. Yeah. That would always shake your hand afterwards and say congratulations also. Very, very sportsmanlike. Yeah. Who were your favourite people to race against back in the day, whether it be Masami or... Just somebody you enjoyed racing at down the club, like? Um, the honest answer is nobody. Because when you go to those big races, you can't really... I, I never thought about it like that. I didn't enjoy necessarily... Ra- had some great races, let's say that. Um, but you want to win. When it becomes your job, and you're travelling around the world representing companies and you're being paid to do it, it's your job. Um, so yes, you have some great battles and you have some great races and you put on a show sometime, but you still want to win. Um, so just to flip your question a little bit, um, Andy Griffiths as a teammate was somebody I really enjoyed racing with. Yeah. Um, and more also I enjoyed racing with as a teammate, um, from the UK. Then in America, a very good friend of mine, Josh Cyril hanging out with Jim Dieter and the Trinity crew, Joel Johnson and stuff. I had great laughs with them going racing. And we had some great battles on track also. Um, Cleveland is a great race in America. And myself and Joel and Josh and John Orr from Associate, we had some fantastic events and very, very close racing, really, really enjoyable over the years. So a lot of people, depends on the class and where we were, but yeah they were all of such a standard to be in a great race with them was just a spectacle really really enjoyed it yeah i mean i consider that sort of was it like mid to late 90s where it was you know tc3 it was the sort of maybe just a little bit before the original mission and you'd got uh the lossy triple x for uh triple x4 tc you'd got all these sort of I consider that the heyday of touring cars before it all went to like the, you know, carbon chassis and flex and all this. And I think some of the, some of the names in the racing back then was, you know, I think I look back on it quite fondly anyway. Oh, it was intense. I mean, you had, you just mentioned you had Associated and Losey, you know, the two biggest guys to bang heads and race off-road, on-road, the whole thing put together. You had Yoko. You had Kyosho, you had HPI, you had Team Express. You had all these manufacturers with factory teams going from race to race. Um, Every race you went to, there was someone you had to beat. You had to pull out all stops to be better than them. It was, was as you say, the heyday. It was the biggest boom in the RC industry, in my opinion. Um, I'm just very privileged to have been a small part of it. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to... um... I think it might have been, I was only literally just starting in it. And I think it was to the outdoor track at Stafford. 
and there was a, a big event on. I can't remember what it was. And just watching, like, I just remember it was you and Drescher. So I was always an associated fanboy. I was, you know, your Dreshers and all that. And my best mate at the time, he was a, a Lousy fanboy. And for, like, days afterwards, we were, like, arguing. And he was arguing, like, no, Spash, it's better than Drescher. And I'd be there arguing the opposite. And as it turns out, I lost the argument because you won Worlds. (laughs) (laughs) That that was the fantastic thing of the heyday, wasn't it? You could have your your favourites in a team or... Yeah. There was use the word animosity is probably not the right word but there was team competition which drove everybody to be better every week yeah yeah Uh, everybody was pushing the limits of every bit of technology that was available to us to find any kind of advantage um and going back to your original question you know when you mentioned about lipo and stuff that's kind of gone now because you buy the box off the shelf and you plug it in yeah yeah um the I've got a battery question that's quite specific. I I'm sorry, I'm, I keep throwing you around different time zones, mate. You must be a nightmare at your end. I'll just throw a year at you. Um, <laughs> sorry about this. Right here we go. Um, how satisfying was it to win the 12th Euros at Chesterfield with 3,000 milliamp batteries when the Corelli team had turned up with the new 3,300s when duration was still an issue? You've done your own work. Sorry, mate. mate, You know what I mean. This is why we're the best podcast in the UK for RC. (laughs) You've done. You've done your own work. You've you've spoken to someone. Yeah, that was. um, They rocked up with stuff that was better than everybody else. Yeah. um, At the time, and again, there's nothing you can do about it. I could have sat there and moaned and cried and whinged about it, but we just got on. We just got on and found the best solution we could find, and luckily enough, that weekend it was enough. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, again, that's all you can do in it. Yeah. But that was the whole. That was the whole part of the heyday. You see, you what you you tried to always be ahead of the curve going to the next race. Yeah. And if you didn't need to use what you'd found, you wouldn't use it until you needed to use it to gain an advantage. Yeah. So you, yeah. Jim Dieter, when I was with Trinity, we were always working on the next stuff always trying to find the next hot ticket the next thing that will find us an advantage um and yeah you just kept it to yourself until you had to use it to be competitive yeah i mean back then if i mean you'd have speedo manufacturers that would be bringing out sort of because there wasn't like plug it in and get an update was there like there is now you can't plug your black box or your the new trinity or the new corali or new hobby wing you can't just plug it into a computer update it and have the new settings could you so i think with how competitive it was and the fact that there was effectively near enough a national a final at every meeting you went to that obviously like you say pushed the technology and that meant that the the so say the drivers were progressing even faster because they were more affordable to have that next step, wasn't it? So uh, I think you then, guys being as competitive as you were did help the lower guys as well. Uh, yeah, it was always it was always in the interest of so the manufacturer interest in racing back then was a lot higher. You just said speedo manufacturers, for example. Well, yeah, you would have Novak, Tekin, LRP, GM would turn up to events to support their drivers. 
and if you found a piece of code that made things better or you found better FETs that would make the speedo run better or you found a solution to limit the current in a more efficient way, they would filter that into production as quickly as possible to improve their product. So all of the work we did would always filter down. So the 98 Wells, for example, with LRP, we had the quantum speed controller as the, the debut event for that speed controller. And it was better than yeah. everybody else's at the time. Yeah. That was months and months and months of Jürgen working his arse off to find an advantage for that event because he knew he had the opportunity to do well. And then he reaped the rewards after. Yeah. I used to, I used to have a, I used yeah, to have I a mean, LRP jumper, white one with a pink triangle on it on the front with a pink like star shape on it. I've still got one of them yeah. somewhere. Yeah, they are cool. If anyone's got one in extra large, um, give, yeah, I mean, you talk had, to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing was you did didn't, you had like you know I think the everything was I think it was better back then. I do. I just think there was more variables. There was better racing. Um, maybe I'm just a bit nostalgic for it, but yeah. You're right about the. I don't know about the speeds, like, but you know, racing um, nowadays, especially on carpet, you know, you 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 you're not getting past unless they make a mistake or there's an accident, because the things are that fast and that stuck to the ground. You know, uh, I'm talking about tenth year, Dave. But what's it like with the with the twelfth cars? No, it's the same. It is the same, and as I said, that's the race craft which is kind of missing a little bit now. Yeah. Um, even in an eight minute twelve scale race, there's very little planning of how you pass the guy in front. You are you are balls to the wall from lap one till the last lap. Yeah. There's no saving tyre, there's no saving battery, there's no saving motor. You are just as fast as you can go. Yeah. And if they make a small mistake, you've got an opportunity that you have to take. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just it's just different. So you're because you're racing eight on road now, aren't you? As you as your main class, would you call it? Would you call it your main class? And um, twelve scales is my main class. Yeah. Are you still doing the twelfth as well? Yeah, yeah, still yeah. racing, racing 12 scale, still doing the nationals and club racing, and yes, still doing a bit of 8 scale on road. Yeah. Um, what are they like to drive? 8 scale on road? Yeah. Uh, it's like driving a go kart. Yeah. You drive like a go kart on the gas. You get yeah. them into the corner and hit the gas, slide it around the corner as best you can, and then exit as fast as possible. Um, yeah. And really enjoyable because of pit, you, you know, you guys race rally cross. Yeah, yeah. Pit stop strategy getting in and out of the pits in a clean pit lane can you undercut can you can you go one stop less do you need a tire change all that type of stuff is yeah. a bit more interesting for the half hour you stood up there would you normally change tires on, in a, on an eighth race in a final uh yeah uh last year um i managed to win the adur uh, eight scale national because two guys needed to change tires and i didn't <laughs> class that's when brilliant. they came off yeah. time and I didn't use time I won that one and Brooklyn's we were really close but we missed the timeline if we'd have been two seconds quicker on the timeline we would have won that one for not doing a tyre stop uh, but yeah it's the norm now in 30 minutes that you need to change at least your left side of the car well you get to the end and there's me moaning about the cost of 10th tyres that's crazy um, <laughs> so, yeah so, so you just have one, one set of tyres 
because uh, they're quick release and they might have like a little key on the end in the, on the end yeah of the yeah couple of, in a couple of seconds and you've done outside yeah so what are the because um, because humor me a bit here because those cars have got spools haven't they on the back so there's no diff action so you've literally got it throw, throw it into the corner and get it pointing where you want to go before you can hit the gas yeah, because we know diff action. You, you you must have to have the back, or, or is it the frontless locks? Which one is it? So on a on an eight scale car, you have yeah. a solid rear axle. Yeah, have a one way in the front. So one if you're, way in the front. If you're loading, yeah. So I, if you're on gas, you're four wheel drive. Yeah. As soon as you unload the transmission, you are basically two wheel drive. Yeah. Um, so off gas, two wheel, on gas, four wheel. So it's it, honestly, it is very very similar style to driving a go kart. Yeah. Well, it in the corner you want the lock to be coming off and then you want the gas to be coming on that's crazy do you have you ever had a go at the electric version i have and they are ridiculously fast yeah they are insane nearly undrivable but a hell of a good giggle <laughs> so they, they run on 4s a lot those ones yeah so the ones in the uk run on 4s yeah with a 200 kv kv motor uh, but in it in um, in Europe, I believe they run them on six S, which is insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the lap times are pretty compatible, but of course they can only just about run five minutes. That's crazy, man! Absolutely crazy beads. Do you think it? Do you think being able to having to save tyres is something that in that class of racing appeals to you? Like with your sort of older school mentality of you know save your battery save yeah save this and then go for it yeah if i'm if i'm if i'm honest with myself the eight scale nationals i've managed to win in the last few seasons of me doing it have been for the reason of i've made my tires last longer than everybody else um they may have been half a lap three quarters of a lap even a lap in front of me going into the last fuel stop but then because they've run out of tire um, I've been lucky enough to win those races, so I'd contribute that probably the the biggest factor to me winning those events. That's crazy. So how yeah. how when the car's got to be driven so aggressively, do you save tyres? Are you just smoother getting onto the power, or just not going more lift and coasting? How how do you save tyres? Um, for generally pick and choose. So you pick and choose what's worth the risk and what's worth the tyre wear. Yeah. Um, obviously, end of the main straight, when you start scrubbing a front left tyre, you do more damage than if you're, say, going into a hairpin. Yeah. Because you can slow the car down in a straight line a bit more, but then you have to use the steering regardless because you've got to get around the hairpin. Yeah. So being a bit cheeky and taking a bit of a e- easy, squeakier line at the end of a main straight, making sure you don't overlock it at all, might lose you a tenth or two. But in the greater scheme of things, that takes a lot of percentage wear off of that left front. Yeah, and then uh, I bet it's, it's hard. I mean, obviously, me as a club racer, um, you know, to 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 what's the word to rein yourself in every lap. <laughs> you know what I mean? And be patient rather than just keep keeping on. It's, you've got to take some sort of a real measure of discipline. Is what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, it, but it's it's. I've always been. My dad always taught me that's the that's racecraft. Yeah. Um, there are ways to win races, and if you're not the fastest, you've got to be the most consistent. Yeah. You, you've got to maximise whatever effort you can give in any race that you're in. 
you know, if your if your hot lap is three tenths slower than the fastest guy, but you can do it every lap and you don't make any mistakes, you've got to use that to your advantage. Yeah, oh, for sure, mate. Yeah. For sure, it is. I think I do think the newer the newer guys to it, as fast as these guys are and as talented as them are, they've never had to deal with um, with that aspect of racing. Have they? You've always had unlimited power and unlimited grip really um yeah i, I think your off-road world they still they probably don't have the unlimited grip um they've still got to have a modicum of throttle control um but work but no what nobody seems to have to work to find horsepower anymore these days it's literally just boxed on the shelf and you purchase it and away you go um, yeah but the xbox generation as i call it the new generation of talent that we're seeing mind-blowing to me what they can do some of the new guys i've seen some videos in off-road some of the new kids on the block wow are they good yeah um, yeah. yeah i think me i think on, the only the only way in which these like let's go and buy the box off i think the only way that really sort of helps is that the products you get are all you know it's you can you as a person's never raced before can go and buy the same battery that or you know spencer rivkin you can just go and buy it off the shelf and i think it's good in that sense that you've no longer got the the people that have to get in the best batteries and the best motors and you know everything's hand wound i like the aspect that it's a level playing field but i do think that Maybe you do. Maybe it should be restricted to like a couple of hundred milliamps less or whatever. Yeah, you cut out a bit then, Chris. But yeah, I. I... Oh. Yeah, sorry. I'm not sure what's happening with my uh, my thing. But yeah, like I say, I think it it the, would the... add a bit of as bit of better aspect into it. Yeah, I mean. Um, to empty, for example, to empty a lipo in 12 scale uh, mod, you have to use 8,000 milliamps in eight minutes. And you think of yeah, it's a one S, and it's a one S battery as well. Yeah, good luck. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of energy you've got to move through through the car to get it gone. Um, and you you questioned me earlier about the fact that Corelli had 3,300 yeah euros. So that the power increase over the last 10, 15 years has been ridiculous. It's been incredible. So you are going to lose certain aspects um, and certain skill sets. Of course you are. But that only grows new skill sets. Now it's how fast can you go. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You just buy it and it's how fast can you go. Uh, speaking of the olden days... Um... You TQ'd uh, a tenth off-road national in the nineties. Work, yeah, um, Air Valley on grass. Yeah, how how come you never did much more in um, in off-road, or didn't pursue it harder? Is it because on-road was your your chosen thing? Um, oh, my, my dad. It was my dad's fault, really. If I'm honest. Yeah. Um, that was when I had moved over to um, 
Losi. So um, Trinity and Losi um, away from Corelli. So um, George Land, great friend of mine, was very keen for us all to race off-road because it was a very, very big market for him. Yeah. Um, so again, as a kid, you always want to do new stuff. So I was busy bouncing around off-road tracks, enjoying myself, getting some good results here, there and everywhere. Um, but my on-road results were also kind of okay, but bouncing around all over the place, not really achieving much. And dad said, you're risking become a jack of all, master of none. Yeah. Pick one. No, no, dad, I can do both. So we, we let it go for a year and I did both and pretty much didn't do much in the on-road compared to normal. And in the off-road, couldn't give as much time as others because I was doing the on-road as well. Yeah. So I couldn't visit the tracks beforehand to get practice and I couldn't practice myself. And we let it go for a year and then dad just said, you're being an idiot. You, you've got the chance to be good at one or the other. Don't do both. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do both. Um, so I chose the on-road route. And at the same sort of time, to be fair, Craig chose the off-road route. Um, and he went, he went did the off-road. So, yeah, that was kind of, again, the, dad, the dad's fault. Always talking sense and being annoying. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't really see many, even today, when you, if you look at the races, you don't see a lot of people going and doing both. I mean, I know, like, you've got your Brunos, and I think Cavalieri did it for a little bit, didn't he? And, yep, yep. Um I know Orlowski's been doing a bit of off, obviously a bit of off-road. He's mainly on-road, but he has been doing some on-road as well. You don't see people crossing the, it's like a forbidden door now, isn't it? You don't see it. You, If you're an on-road guy, you do probably touring car and touring. It's on-road. Yeah. yeah so when... If you're an off-road guy, you do 10th and 8th. But when you consider what we had to do back then, where you had to prepare batteries, you had to prepare motors, you had to do all of this groundwork to be competitive in on-road and then do all the same procedure to be competitive in off-road, that was a lot of work. Yeah. That was a lot yeah. of And if you didn't have a team helping you do that and a team you could lean on to get information and uh, motor and just be told yeah. you need to just do this, that and the other, that was very, very difficult. The cars were a lot harder to work on as well, weren't they, back then? They were, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and now, and now you know, more fragile. those guys that do it, they've got a team of guys that set up the off-road. Um, so Martin Bayer, who does the off-road stuff for X-Ray, when Bruno turns up, I'm sure Bayer just says, here you go, Bruno, here's your cars. They're all it, set up. Yeah. So, Apparently he does, yeah. That's what he said when we interviewed him. Everything's yeah. set up. Yeah, he's built for him. Go, yeah. Yeah. Because, but, yeah, but because he all Bruno when we interviewed him, he said um, on road was his main class, touring cars and um, on road was his main class, and the, the buggy stuff he just did when they asked him to. Yeah, and I think the same is of Olowski, isn't it? Olowski is more of an off road guy. Yeah, but when he comes and races on road, and he's got Andy Murray and Nathan helping him with the on road stuff. He's an incredible driver, so he can yeah. pick it up in private, and he's given the best that Schumacher can give him. Yeah. So he's going to be fast. Of course he's going to be fast. He's yeah. a world-class driver. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it can be done. Just as you rightly say, you become a jack of all, a master of none, so yeah. you pick ones to do it. Yeah. Do you think 
in it helps like because obviously it's two i'd say probably off-road traditionally probably lower grip than on-road you know I'm, i'm just wondering if if you can sort of learn all of the different driving styles does that make you a better driver is that why you know you've got a lot of the drivers now like yourself craig even going back to like you know not that quite that far like craggy masami you can just pick up a car and drive anything whereas i wouldn't have a clue what i was doing with the touring car admittedly i'm carrying a lot less talent um but you would still drive the touring car around you would still you'd still be able to do it the level at which you are able to achieve and get to is only dedication to that class of racing and improving the car and yourself to be better. That's just time and effort. No, I suppose, yeah. Never, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, as we just said, you know, Olowski can pick up an off-road car, and then, but he, he works on it. But then if you were to just give him a kit box 12-scale car, I'm not sure how far he would go without help from the team. Yeah. To get that last tenth or two that really makes a difference of winning an event, would he have that in him to go find it? Probably not have the time. But Andy Murray and the team guys that know what they're doing will just give it to him and off he goes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no easy way to finding the answers to be fast. It's just hard work by someone. Somebody has to do the legwork. In any class. No. I've got a good point. Yeah, I've got an interesting question. Um, apparently, when you won the world in 2006, you had a, a large penny washer holding your chassis together. I did. It, it, did you not yes. have a spare with you, mate? <laughs> well, you know, funny. at the worlds funny. and that. <laughs> Tell us the story. Yeah, so um, it started a few months before that. Um, we went testing in Germany and I was racing a Corelli chassis for, for constant. And we went testing and the car wasn't, let's just say, wasn't the best. Yeah. And we were struggling to finish eight minute runs without the front end doing something funky. So I said to, I said to him, we can't run this at the Worlds. It's, it's not possible. And they didn't have any of the old cars left available. So... It was literally the week before that event, I cut and made a chassis fit an associated front end onto a Corelli rear end. Yeah. And I rocked up to a world championships with one chassis, one car, not one spare part. <laughs> that was my that was my title bid. Yeah. That's what I was going to send and all was lovely. We were, having a, we were having a good qualifying. Everything was lovely. And one tiny little mistake at the end of the main straight. And all of a sudden, there's a penny washer screwed to the front holding my chassis flat because it was cracked wow. right across the front corner. And I had I had no choice but to glue it and screw it back together. That, did that penny washer give you a bit more steering? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it's the sort of thing you do it, you fix it and try and ignore it because it just messes with your head that you've got this wood screw holding a penny washer in your car holding it straight. But uh, luckily, didn't hit nothing else for the rest yeah. of the weekend uh, and finish the weekend's racing. Yeah, that's class. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, 
we haven't even spoke about Zen Racing, um, the company where you work for. And it was totally skipped past the Helga days, <laughs> um, and now you now you work um, at Zen and you produce RC cars and you got a little like a little shop as well where you sell you know parts for races and things like that and a couple of other brands. Um, what's it like working there day to day? Do you do much designing or is it all um, packing orders and stuff? Uh, we've got our own line of GT12 and 12 scale stuff. Yeah. We make some optional extra bits and pieces that we design and make ourselves. Um, when I left Horizon to come down south with with nothing planned, it was it was a good thing. It's been it's been good for us with the three kids growing up. It's given me the time to spend more time with my family. Yeah. Um, we're primarily a twelve scale orientated shop and an eight scale on road orientated shop. We do have touring car stuff. We have got some off-road stuff. We do cater for our local customers. Um, so, oh, we're not flat out busy, busy, busy every single day from from a model shop. But as I said, it's given me the time to spend time with my family and kids. Yeah, and slow down a little bit, um, so, but it's still enjoyable. Um, still love doing it. Um, still love talking to the people. Still love supplying customers and stuff. So it's good fun. Yeah. So, what's it like with the development of a um, um, a racing car uh, in the modern day and age? With the you know, um, no offense, a couple of guys in a shed against the might of Schumacher or or whoever or X Ray or whatever. How do you keep your cars at, at the front? It's it's funny you use that saying actually because uh, the guy I work with, Paul, we always say it's two men in a shed. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's who we are. Um. It, nothing nothing in the on-road world um, from, from 12 scale has been massively revolutionary for quite a while. Yeah. So understanding the basics and fundamentals, once you've got those pinpointed and nailed down and you know why they work, once you design something around what you know and you know why it works, just as long as you tweak along that line, you're always going to have a decent good car to sell. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does get, don't get me wrong, it does get incredibly frustrated. And this is no slight on, on Schumacher or, of course, they're powerhouses in the RC industry. Yeah. They can they can sponsor 30, 40 guys to rock up to a GT12 national or a 12-scale national or whatever event. Uh, we can't do that. Yeah, We can't do that. That's me and my mates going racing. Yeah. That's me and my supporters that have supported us doing what we're doing and believe in what we're doing, helping me out to go racing. Yeah, I'll thank those people enough. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, we we have sponsored a few people where we've given stuff for nothing, and they've been really appreciative. And most of them, at some point, have said, "You know what? I'll buy that because you've given me enough and you've you've helped me so much." Yeah, and just really, really thankful of those people that have helped us get where we are today. Um, so yeah, it's been good. It's been it's been a roller coaster. Yeah, that's class. I've got to say, um, you sell some solder called Zenon with an X and it's the best stuff I've ever used <laughs> that's good that is good stuff it is brilliant mate really is, is good stuff. yeah oh, class right I mean we're coming up breaking up towards the hour now Chris is it time for the famous yeah. questions oh god yeah um, oh, we probably should have pre, pre-prepped him because there'll be that many d- different answers I, I think yeah I've, well it's going to be difficult right um, yeah. I'll go first go um, go 
what out of all the years you've been driving and racing has been your favourite car? If you could like pick one up as exactly as it came off the last the last time you drove it and throw it on the track in the morning, um, what what car would you go for? That's a difficult one. It's hard, isn't it? Especially that if you've had so many. <laughs> okay, so that would be a, a car that I didn't actually build. And it was only ever raced at one event, which was Cleveland. It had a nickname called Rocket. Yeah. Anybody that knows or has raced with me or was around Cleveland would know that car. And it wasn't touched for three years at Cleveland and it won three events. That was my favorite car to drive of all time, I would say. Brilliant. Brilliant. And obviously you've raced around the world. Um, what track would you what track would you be going back to if you were given the opportunity a, a permanent asphalt track and any, any track, track you've ever been you're. to what's, the, what's your fav i suppose the way to put it is what's the what's your most favorite track you've ever been to um don't really remember the layouts of many the probably my favorite event to attend would be cleveland in america i always really enjoy going to that race my favourite track probably would be Appledorm in Holland. Class. I've got a quick question for you that I missed off the list earlier before we let you go, Dave. Um, what's the story behind you driving Mark Reinhardt's winning car the day after the 12th Euros in Gran Canaria? Um, Rumour has it you were a bit quicker. You see, you've been speaking to someone that knows me too well, don't you, really? So I've just, mate, I, I think I know. I'm who just, it I'm just be, I'm, all I'm trying to do is put out great content. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what happened was this was back to the Corelli. That was the year of the World Championships, yeah. or the, for the World Championships. And Corelli had their older generation car, which the Simu brothers were using. Um, sorry, the Animi brothers, Saka and Simu. And they were really fast with their old stuff. But with the new stuff, which I was given, it was very, very difficult to make it competitive. Yeah. And to prove a point to a certain gentleman, I literally grabbed Mark's car, put my radio in it, did not do anything other than make it go straight and went and set a time that was faster than TQ of the European Championships the day before. Yeah. Hand in the car and said, You got some homework to do and I went home. Yeah. <laughs> That's unreal, man. That that was the RC equivalent of that famous scene in Fast and Furious where she shouts too soon, Junior. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That was what that was. Yeah, that's class. Right. Um Dave I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. It's been um, it's been it's been really good to talk. Um, I hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as, as much as I have. Um, before we let you go, do you want to say thank you to anyone, friends, family, sponsors, long-suffering wife? Yeah, I mean, my family have been amazing letting me go on this journey. To be honest, um, so of course, thanks to all of them and the the people that have supported me to get this far with the with the projects we're doing today honestly your your support is so greatly appreciated and let's just hope we can go a few years more thank you very much perfect Norton. um i never asked if you had any last questions chris i'm sorry did you have any last questions no <laughs> to be honest it's been really enjoyable it's flown by and i I do, although it's uh, not my mate, my main class. I did used to do a bit of touring car, so it's always nice to reminisce. Class, nice, great, get you on, Dave. Brilliant, thanks very much. All the best, gents. Have a good evening.
And he's gone. How about that? Mate, yeah. Like you said... Uh, top guy. Top guy. Loads of stories. Right, no, like you said, a true legend of uh, of UKRC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not many people that you speak to that have got four and a half world championships and, you know, nearly yeah. 30 Euros, nearly 30 British championships yeah. and... You know, we never spoke about. We never again. spoke about why he was only a half world champion, did we? Well, maybe we'll have to get him back on. Yeah, we'll time. ask him that next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I went to Ledbury on Sunday for eight racing, not practice. All oh, right. Were you was uh, just you racing or was... no? Bruce went as well. Bruce went as well. So he was a. Uh, he didn't require an attitude adjustment. No, he was sound, mate. Apart from he kept breaking his car. Um, and I'm like, I was pulling my hair out, not not to him, but I was just like, yeah, you know, we've been here the last two weeks. We've got to have done 200 laps each. You know what I mean? I don't know how many, but the cars never stop moving. But, you know, we're, we're, we're going around the track all the time. We're there for four or five hours. Um, yeah. So the first round, you could just practice all right. Um, first round, he broke the um, his rear drive shaft fell out. Um, how does that happen? Right. It was jammed. It was jammed in the wishbone. So that was the end of that run. Second run, he went out and he um, broke a famous um, steering uh, link. You know, like the turnbuckle. Snap yeah. one, snap one of them off inside the um, inside the ball cup. So great. For, no. You know, you know, I sort of bought all the plastics for his car. Um, yeah. I didn't, buy, I didn't, I didn't buy any metal bits. I was like, that formula. I think they're never going to break. Anyway, it broke. Um, it was a big crash though to be fair um, he, he, the um, the Marshall post up in the top corner by the telegraph pole it was quite impressive um, what did he break in the third round rear wishbone <laughs> in the rear oh, in the gosh. so what I'm think, but I'm thinking now I, I couldn't figure out why the drive shaft had popped out for because you know the car's so so rigid I think he'd flexed yeah. the, I think he'd broke the wishbone then um, and the wish, and the drive shaft had popped out and then flexed back, but we hadn't spotted it, you know. Um, and it made it through the next round, and then the third round, like I say, he broke the wishbone. So, um, um, so that was impressive. Lucky we had one of them. <laughs> um, fourth round, he went round all right, and then finally started fiftieth, which is I think was like last um, yeah. in the E final. Um, and he went up two places, but I know one person dropped out. <laughs> so right. yeah, that don't matter to Bruce, does it? At least he's uh, he's enjoying it, and he's you know. To yeah, be honest, it. I'm just proud. I'm just proud that you are outdoors before it's like April. I tell you what, mate. Like we've been onto yellows straight away, um, yellow mini pins. As soon as we get there, yeah. last week, and 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 sorry, last week and the week before. You know, after practice, it was it was um, drying up for, for dry tyres. You're that much of an indoor and fair weather outdoor racer. You usually won't go outdoors until you're on blues. I know, I know. It's been, it's been really mild, though, mate. To be honest, and plus, yeah. to be honest, I get a lot more motivation knowing that Bruce wants to go. You know what I mean? You yeah, know, well, it's, it's, uh, you know, we can, we, can, we can go out racing, you know, um, or, or, or just or just practicing or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I, I went okay. Um, like I said, there was 52 booked in. I don't know. Um, and I ended up polling the C final. Now, with with who was there, I was looking through the heat listings, um, and I thought I'd probably be back back off with the B sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I polled the C, so I wasn't a, mile, a million miles off my prediction. And um, I led through the first lap, and after 15 minutes, I'd managed to convert my pole into a fourth. So, <laughs> Good effort. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah, it was good. You went, you, you went big and you went backwards as well. Well, yeah, I crashed a couple of times, you know, and then I got caught behind because um, they were running truggies, e-buggies and night shows all, in the, all mixed, like, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, and I had a good battle with this, I think it was a white Mugen truggy um, for like three or four laps and I just could not get past him. It was it was really good racing, really good yeah. racing, yeah. But he was running like second or third, and then, and then I I think I crashed. He came past. Yeah, it's good. Hey, I'm going on, but yeah, it was a good day. Good day, really, really, yeah. really. I say really warm. It was like 12 degrees. So I think for for January, that's pretty warm, isn't it? Um, yeah, and it was sunny all day. So yeah, and yeah. you've uh, you've took delivery of uh, a new machine, haven't you? I have, yeah, just for a little bit of fun. Um, I, I've had my eye on these, did lost your mini bees for a while. Obviously, I've seen you, you'd had a couple. Um, yeah. And I was zooming and hour about it, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get one. Um, so yeah. I've got one. Um, so Bruce might be able to have a go with it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm taking the boys to um, what's now all electric model car club. It used to be Rowley. Regis before that it was Marston's before that it was Marston Palmer's um, so we're going up there on um, Friday um, Ian at Penn sorted me out some foam tyres for him yeah. so we're going to just take them up there let them have a little run on the tyres let them, let them just have a bit of consistent surfaces rather than mixed for now and then see how they get on yeah, it'd be Should good. Be yeah, it'd be good. It'd be really good. I might come over. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'd like to come over. I think. I'd like to come yeah, over. It's, I mean, it's not a bad. It's not a. It's not a good. The the facility that they're in now. It's a massive hall. Um, I think you've got a full twenty five meter straight. Yeah. Which will obviously be interesting with these because they're not. I think. Did you say they were about sixteen mile an hour with the stock gear in them? According to the the, the YouTube videos of reviews I watched, they're all GPS to sixteen mile an hour brushed. Yeah, fully so, charged. Well, that's what they've got in them because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start putting like nice, yeah, it's race, plenty, race brushless it's, stuff for new plenty, starters. It's plenty, pointless. Plenty fast enough, mate. You know, so on a twenty five meter straight, they'll have time to you know think about what they're doing when they get to the first corner. Yeah. But yeah, it should be fun. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the uh, the parenting side of racing. To be fair, it's been enjoyable. Class, class, man, class. All right, have you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, nah, not today, mate. Cool, no problems. All right, well, do you want to thank the sponsors then, mate, and we'll look at knocking it on the head. Yes, mate. So uh, thank you to CML Distribution, Schumacher Racing, and now again, Will Speed Racing. Yeah, thank you guys sponsoring the show. We couldn't do it without you, really. We couldn't, and we couldn't do the prizes at Christmas. And let's be honest, I'm sure a lot of the listeners just want those. So there you go. Perfect, mate. Perfect. And I'll say thank you to the listeners, guys. Thanks very much for getting involved with that car crash for a podcast that we do for you every week. Don't forget to like and share for your chance to be in at the Christmas draw and that's it uh, we haven't got a guest book for next week yet so hopefully we'll find someone wonderful no I'm going to uh, I'm going to tell Ashley Patterson he's the guest next week so I'm yeah gonna try we've got to get Ash on Ash if I'm you're listening you're coming on next on. week even if, even if we've got yeah. to record it Sunday night we'll get you on um, no it's Wednesday is it work Wednesday mate 
looks nice. I thought he races on Tuesday. Yeah, races on Tuesday. Ash is so keen on his racing, you know, that he works nights. Um, but he doesn't work Tuesday, so he can go racing. <laughs> Does he work nights? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Or, or evenings, oh, no. late evenings, sort of. I want to message you right now. Do it. All right, anyway, um, you can do that. I'm um, going on Warzone. I'll see you in a bit. See you in a bit, mate.